You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. that's the message of this psalm, prospering or perishing. And the thing that divides, the thing that, de- that, that determines which side you're on, which should be a great concern to us. You say, this isn't, this isn't fun. Like, that's not a great division. This isn't something I want to go around saying, hey, did you know you're either prospering or perishing? You're either dead or alive. Which one are you? Like, this isn't really a fun thing, but here's the Here's the thing that determines where you are, and that is your relationship with the God who created you and your relationship to his law. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Happiness, blessedness. The psalm opens, blessed is the man. And this is a state of being blessed. It's not, it's not a, um, it's an adjective. It's saying this is this soul-satisfied man. Blessed is the man. And so uh, what is it to be blessed? What is it to be happy? Right? I mean, how many of us, that is, that's the big question, right? Nobody wants to be miserable. Right? We're, we're living our lives, whatever you did, whatever you're doing now, whatever you're doing, uh, whatever you did yesterday, whatever you're doing in your life is likely because you believe it would bring you happiness, right? That's, that's the driving thing. I think about today, um, of, of, of all days, and the, the document that birthed our nation, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. What are among those? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? And that came from the founder's understanding of, of happiness and of our um, being made by God to find happiness. So what is it? No, well, the world doesn't know. I'll just tell you that up front. The world doesn't know what happiness is. Um, the world would say that happiness comes from your outward circumstances. How's your life going, right? Someone says, how are you doing? I'm good, right? That means, that means the job's good. That means the family's happy. That means I have money in the bank account. That's all good. It means I'm healthy. Honestly, most of the time, that's what you and I are talking about. I think about that as a believer. What do I pray about? You know, those are the things that occupy a lot of my heart and my time. Think about the, where I put my priorities. They're often in, in those same things. But there's this fleetingness to happiness. I remember as a teenager, my dad telling me, son, your heart is an insatiable dragon, and as soon as you get something, you set another goal, and you're dissatisfied. I was like, wow, that's kind of harsh, dad. <laughs> but he was right. <laughs> that was my heart. That is my heart. That's our hearts. Happiness is elusive. And the world doesn't understand it. I was thinking about um, this story. I, I grew up in a big family. My older brother, uh, there was a story told about him when he was a toddler and had just learned, was just learning to walk. My parents went to one of these, uh, it was like an early version of a membership club. So I'm picturing like Sam's, but I don't, know that, I don't think that's what it was called. I think it was like Paces or something like that. Pace. So they went to this the big grand opening of the membership club, and at this opening, there was one of those little um, remote-controlled truck, and they'd put a, a tray on it, and on that tray, they had put chocolates. And my brother was, had just started walking. He was like one years old, and he got a chocolate, and he ate it, and he was hooked. And the rest of the time they were there, the man with the remote control saw him, 
and would drive the truck, and he would let my brother like toddle over, and he'd, just when he'd get there, he'd squat down to reach out, and the man would drive the truck. <laughs> and he'd stand up, and he'd toddle over, and he'd bend down, he was sure he was gonna get it this time, and he'd drive the truck. And pretty soon, there was a whole crowd just standing around like laughing as this, as this toddler just went all around the store trying to catch that elusive piece of chocolate. But that's how, that's how happiness is, and that's too often how we live our lives, right? Is just, I'm almost there, a little bit more. One of, uh, one way it was described is, what is happiness? It's that moment before you need more happiness. And friends, that's not soul satisfaction. That's not soul satisfaction. That's circumstantial happiness, and it's not what we see here in the Bible. So what is happiness? What is the happy person? Who is this blessed man. Well, one thing we can see is that, let's not be cynical, you can be happy. You can be blessed. There is a blessed man. There is this promise in scripture that you can find soul satisfaction. Your heart can be satisfied. Praise God for that. So what is it to be happy? Well, first, sometimes it's easier to say what something's not. So let's look at verse one. The first thing the psalmist does is he says a few things that the happy man doesn't do. The few things that the blessed man is not. And and so let's look first at that. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Three things. The first, the happy person doesn't think the way the world thinks. He doesn't think the way the world thinks. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. How does the world think? Well, Romans 1 verse 18 tells us plainly that the wicked by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The wicked actively work to suppress the truth about God. That's how they think. We're going to set aside what can be clearly seen in nature, what can be clearly understood about God and what he's revealed of himself. We're going to actively suppress that in unrighteousness. It's like having a giant spring. This is active suppression. Pushing down on that spring. You're actively suppressing the truth. It's not a passive thing. It's not, oh, we're just ignoring it. The wicked, you and I, those who are, if we are lost, if we're left as we are born in our natures, we would actively work against the righteousness of God. That's our heart. And again, in Romans 8, Paul says that the wicked are those who live according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's actively suppressing. It's hostile. For it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot. There's a huge distinction there, and we'll come back to that. It submits to God's law. So that's the first thing I want to see. The happy person doesn't think the way the world thinks, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, the happy person doesn't live the way the world lives, right? We don't order our lives in the way that the world does. It says here that, he, the, that the blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and we might think of that as like opposition, like two men crossing a bridge and you're standing in the way. But that's not, what this means is he doesn't walk in the shoes of. He doesn't live his life in the way 
that the sinner does. The blessed man doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't order his life with the same priorities. He doesn't understand meaning the same way. So you, you see, the world believes that you'll be happy if you put together a certain life, right? Malcolm Forbes said, he who dies with the most toys wins. The words of a man who is amassing a fortune and yachts and lavish parties and is dead. I don't know how many toys he died with, but I know that he stood before his creator. And the question wasn't how many toys he amassed. The question was, was he reconciled to God and to God's law or not? The world would say, what are the things that give us happiness? Wealth. Wealth is a major source of happiness, right? Having uh, ease is a major source of happiness. Maybe finding that right person, marriage. Having the right relationship, maybe that will make us happy. Meaningful work. You'll notice several of these are great things. Marriage is a blessed state. It's a gift from God. Meaningful work is wonderful. Money is, is, God, is, is, a, is a great thing as well that, that is given to us providentially by God. These are not bad in and of themselves, but they don't make us happy. Leisure and entertainment, physical health. How about doing what's right for you? Follow your heart, right? That's, the world says don't orient yourself around others. Don't live your life for others. Live your life for yourself. You've got to do what you have to do to be happy, right? That's, that's what the world would say. Like you, you whatever, whatever else you sacrifice, don't sacrifice your happiness. Make sure that whatever sin you need to pursue to be happy, do that. But that's not what the happy man actually does. He doesn't live his life ordered the way that the world orders it. He doesn't live his life uh, standing with the sinner. The way of the sinner is to be oriented around self rather than creator. To, be, to orient your life around the created rather than the creator. It's to live without any fear of God. It's to live without the fear of the Lord. And that's what we see through the Psalms and the Proverbs is this contrast between the wicked and those who fear the Lord and those who love his law. Thirdly, the third thing, the happy person doesn't believe what the world says about God. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. See, the world has this clear message about God, and, and, and it's pretty straightforward. First, they deny that God exists, right? They spend a lot of time actually denying that God exists. But they deny that God exists. Psalm 10:4. for the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That's the, that's the outlook of the scoffer. There is no God. So he denies that God exists, and then because God doesn't exist, the second thing that the scoffer would say is that God won't come again in judgment. There is no future judgment. Do whatever you like. Make yourself happy. Follow your own desires. Indulge yourself. Peter, in writing to the church in 2 Peter chapter 3, says, Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're just going on. Like, God's not going to do anything. There's no judgment. Why are you hung up on that? And why do they say that? They're following the desires of their own heart, right? This is their natural inclination. This is 
the natural progression. And I don't want us to miss that. There's a progression here through these three things. It begins with thinking the way the world thinks. It leads to living the way the world lives and finally to scorning God the way the world scorns God. So there is this progression and we see it in Romans 1. We see it here in the Psalm and sadly we see it around us in the lives of too often friends and family and, and those we love. So that's what, that's what the blessed man doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. What he does do is he delights in the law of the Lord. That's what the, that's what the blessed man does. That's what the happy man does. He delights, he takes delight in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19 One of those psalms on the Torah says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Where the wicked find God's law to be a burdensome memory, excuse me, a burdensome misery, to the blessed, the law of God is something that revives them, that makes them wise, something that they treasure and that they long for and that they look for. Why? Because it's true and it's righteous, because it brings health and life. And so they delight in the law of God. And they meditate on it day and night, every moment lived in the light of God's law, every moment thinking of pleasing God and not self. The happy man lives quorum Deo, before the face of God, right? That's, that's, how, that's how the blessed man lives. It's a pretty stark contrast and picture, and, and I'd ask you in, in, in hearing that, like, in your soul, which do you, do you find yourself identifying with? And, I, and, and I'll tell you, for me, it's not the blessed man. I see how often I walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. How, how little I love God's law. I mean, that, that's the reality. This is a standard that I can't live up to. The psalm is clear. It says, it says this, it says, you want to be happy? That's fine. Obey God's law. It's that simple, brothers and sisters. Obey God's law. But there's a little problem. We've already talked about it a little bit. You and I are born in a state where we can't obey God's law. You and I are born in a state of sin. Our hearts are corrupted. We can't obey God as we should. So where's our hope? Is there hope? What's the source of happiness? I think... I think too often we look at this psalm and we say, oh, the source of happiness is clear, right? Like, I just need to do this and not do that. Make a list. Put it on the fridge. Do these things. Don't do these things. That's true. Like, your life will be, by following God's law, there's this practical element to the law of God. The way of the sinner is hard, right? So you do what God's law says. It is good for your life. It's good for your soul. But it doesn't address the how do you do that when, you're, when, you're, when your heart's corrupted, when you're born into sin, when you're wicked yourself, when, when you would say, as, as, as Paul said in, in Romans, that, that we are hostile to God and we cannot 
submit to his law? What do you do? Well, let's look further. It says, the next two verses, there's a tree. It's this description of this blessed man, right? And we're going a little further in. Now we've talked about, this is what he doesn't do, this is what he does do. What is he? What's his identity? Who, what, what is that blessed man? Well, that blessed man, he's like a tree. And it's, and it's a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the source of happiness, being this tree with roots that go down deep, that draw on this water. That's the source of the happiness of this man. Well, a few quick observations. The first main point is this. The source of happiness for you and I is being planted in Christ Jesus. The source of happiness for us is being planted in Christ. It's it's being planted by God the tree is planted. Now, I'm not the farmer that, like, Jason Bankston is. I'm not the, the gardener that my wife is. But one thing I know is things don't plant themselves. Like, they may, they may you know, they, nature may find ways to plant things. Things, things may grow, but, but they get planted. This tree is planted. It's planted by one who, who has set it in just the right spot where its roots can go down deep into the soil and find the water and the nourishment that it needs. This is a tree that's been planted by streams of water. I would tell you it's the river of life and that Christ Jesus is that river. And this soil and this nourishment is the soil and the nourishment of God's word. You see, true happiness is a state of blessedness and soul satisfaction that comes from being planted in Christ Jesus by faith being joined to him. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with what's going on externally. Our souls are satisfied when they are made right with the God who created us. Our souls are satisfied when we are no longer at enmity and hostility with the God who made us. That's when we have soul satisfaction. And that's when we have this soul satisfaction that is otherworldly, that looks to a world that is to come and a kingdom and a king that we all rejoice in. When we're planted into Christ Jesus, he reconciles us to the law of God, the law that we were opposed to. We who were wicked. If you don't identify with the wicked, you don't know that you need a savior. If you don't know that you're sick, you don't know that you need a physician. If you don't recognize yourself in this psalm as, those, as the one who is wicked, then you don't know that you need to be reconciled to the law of God, made right with the God who made you through Jesus Christ. We can't by our nature submit to God's law. We're all born wicked. We're all born under the curse of the law. And we can't fix that. That's our natural state. Colossians 1.21 says this, and you, he's talking to believers, he's talking to us here in McDonough, all of us who have faith in Christ. He says, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's not the blessed man. That's the other guy. And that's what all of us were. You reconciled to God. This psalm is not a psalm saying, make a list and put it on the fridge. You better get it right so you'll be happy. 
This psalm is a psalm telling you that unless you're reconciled to God through faith in Christ Jesus, you will not find happiness. You will not find eternal soul satisfaction. So who is the blessed man? Well, the blessed man is of Psalm 1. He's the only man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of scoffers. He's the only one who has delighted perfectly in the law of God every moment of his life. He's the only one who's lived meditating on God's law every moment. He's the only one who's lived before the face of God without sin. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone do we see a picture of this blessed man, this tree. Christ is the tree, and Christ went to die a death on the tree that you and I might be planted in him. Christ is the tree of life. Revelation 22, verse 1, has this beautiful picture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will, there, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the picture, this, this water flowing from the throne of God, this tree whose fruit never, uh, whose leaf never withers, whose fruit is for the healing of the nations. This is Christ, and he is our only hope for being happy. Don't believe the lie of the world that you can be happy in your circumstances. We can think through that, right? And if that's the case, if, if our soul satisfaction, our happiness is in our circumstances, then that means that the next moment we may very well be unhappy. We may be blessed now, but the next moment we may not be. That's not the promise of the scripture. That's not the promise of the Bible. We are blessed forevermore because we've been united to Christ. Jonathan Edwards in his first sermon said this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Are you looking for soul satisfaction? Everything here is but a weak picture of the satisfaction your soul can find in the one who made you. God is the highest good and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Your soul can be satisfied in him, the one who made you. And you can find life in Christ Jesus, the one who is the perfect one, who can plant you down deep into the soil and can nourish every part of your heart and your life by his life-giving water. The psalm doesn't stop there. It ends with this warning, a big warning. The wicked are not so. Everything good that we have in Christ, 
the wicked are not so. Every promise we have, not so for the wicked. You know, I think about that sometimes when we, we, think, of, we think of in, pro, in uh, Romans 8, all things work together for good. Well, well, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to believers. You unbelievers, that's not for you. Everything doesn't work together for your good. It works for your condemnation. Your sin will be heaped upon you. It's not for your good. Don't take that promise and apply it to yourself. It doesn't belong to you. It's in Christ that these promises are made. It's through faith in Christ. Here's the warning. The wicked are not so. Anyone who's not planted in Christ Jesus will not prosper. They will perish. Here's the funny thing. It doesn't always look like it to us, right? We look around. It seems like God and his unique way of blessing his people is through hardship, right? It's not the way we would do it, not the way I would do it. I'd say, well, I, I kind of, I mean, you know, easy is good, right? <laughs> like, I would like the, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with money. We'll do that. But that's not how, that's not how God has ordered things. And, and there's a reason for that. And we will uh, talk about that momentarily. The true end of the wicked though, is that they will perish. It doesn't matter how they may look now. And we see that in the Psalms. They may, for a moment, prosper. They may, for a moment, even through their sin, amass a great fortune. They may look like they're upstanding. They may be at church every Sunday. They may be doing all the right things. But if their hope and their righteousness is in their works and not in Christ Jesus, then they will perish. Not so the wicked, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. What's chaff? It's an empty, lifeless hull. It's what's left over after the wheat is threshed out. The grain is taken. What's left is this chaff. What's it good for? It's good for the fire to be burned up. It's good for judgment. That's it. Their lives are empty. Nothing remains but a husk. It's worthless. Their lives are lifeless. There's no root. There's no growth. There's no life-giving water. Their lives are fruitless. They may appear for a moment circumstantially to be happy, but if they're not in Christ, they will perish. What about you and I? Where are we? Where are you, brother or sister? There's this sober warning in Revelation chapter 3 when Christ is speaking to the church, and he says, For you say, I am rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You and I ought to examine our hearts and our lives it's easy to look around and say, my soul's good because my bank account's good. My soul's good because my job's going well. My soul's good because life is good. But those things are not connected. And if you find that your hope is not in Christ, that are pure and without sin, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, repent and turn to Christ. If not, if you don't, the wicked, it says clearly, will not stand in judgment. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There is a great congregation. All those by faith in Christ are joined together in this people, this congregation of God, and we will stand together praising God, part of his kingdom. The wicked won't be there. Why not? Because they won't stand in the judgment. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows us. He knows our way. He knows us intimately. But the way of the wicked will perish. It's this great warning. There's this great division, friends. Don't miss that. You are this morning either one who delights in the law of God or one who will perish in judgment. There is no in-between. There's no gray spot. There's no little place to hide. You're one of those two. Search your heart. Which of those are you? Are you among the living or among the dead? Are you planted down deep in Christ by faith and nourishing your heart and your life from, from the river of life? Or are you dried chaff waiting for judgment? That's the question. If, if, you, aren't, if, you, if you aren't planted in Christ, you can be. You can be reconciled to God today. That's the promise. Today, if you hear his voice, repent, turn to him. Where's the source of your happiness this morning? What are you looking to for soul satisfaction? Is it in Christ Jesus? Or is it in, is it in your circumstances? Is there fruit in your life? If you're in Christ there, then you're a new creation. You have the Spirit, and there is fruit. This description is of the blessed man, Christ Jesus. And when we're saved, we have the Spirit, and so we walk in the way that Christ walked. And so we will be imitators of Christ in, in walking and loving his law and walking in his way and imitating him in that. That doesn't, we, we know this process of sanctification. You will fail and you run to Christ again with all of your failures it means nothing in your standing before God. You're made righteous in Christ, and yet being made right in Christ, being planted in Christ, you will bear fruit because you're a tree connected to the river of life. Is there fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit? Are you, are you prospering? Is your life oriented around yourself or is it oriented around others? Is your happiness oriented around what's created or is your happiness oriented around the creator do you hunger and thirst after righteousness is the law of god more valuable to you than gold and is it sweeter to you than the sweetest of foods where's your hope and where's your anchor this morning as we look at this psalm i don't want you to come away saying oh i've got to do better no friend you need a savior who has done perfectly you can't do better enough but Christ Jesus has done better. He's done perfect. And he stands before you and says, come to me and I will give you my righteousness and I will plant you and you will grow and you will prosper and you will be blessed. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. You can look at the Beatitudes and, 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 and the blessings that God promises are not to those who have it easy in this life. It's to the the poor in spirit, it's to those who are oppressed, it's to those who love righteousness, right? That's the, the hope of the gospel held out to us in Psalm 1. 
It is a messianic psalm. It's about God's law, but the message is clear. God's law is perfect and true and righteous and just, and you're wicked. But there is one who came so that you could be reconciled to God's law. And if you're reconciled to God's law, you will be eternally blessed, eternally happy, eternally soul-satisfied. And if you are not, no matter what your circumstance now, you will perish in the judgment. Brothers and sisters, each week we participate together in the Lord's Supper. And I'm thinking about this in light of this psalm and, and, and in light of this great exchange this, that, that we remember each week that Christ Jesus died for us, that Christ did go to the tree, was nailed to a tree for us. If you uh, want to participate in the Lord's Supper and you didn't take the elements on your way in, just raise your hand and somebody will bring those to you. In Luke, there was a, a, a Jesus was speaking and um, was speaking about this wedding feast, and someone spoke up. This unnamed person just said, "Blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God." And Jesus went on to to explain who that was. It wasn't the people you think. It's not the obvious guys. It's not the people who were first invited. It's the people that he goes out and gathers in. It's you and I, those who are united to Christ by faith. But, it's, but it is true, blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. Happy, happy is that one who will be at the marriage feast of the Lamb, who will participate together 